Author's Note Joseph, Isabel, and Mahmoud are all fictional characters, but their tales are based on true stories. Joseph The MS St. Louis was a real ship that set sail from Nazi Germany in 1939 with 937 passengers on board, almost all of them Jewish refugees trying to escape the Nazis. The Jews expected to be admitted to Cuba, some of them to live there permanently, some to stay only temporarily until they were admitted to the United States or to Canada. But when they arrived, the Jews were told they would not be allowed to land. The reason was political. The Cuban official who had issued the refugees' entrance visas had fallen out of favor with Cuba's president at the time, Federico Bru. To embarrass the official, Bru retroactively canceled the Jews' visas. Nazi agents in Havana helped keep the Jews out, too, by spreading propaganda that turned the Cuban people against the refugees. The Germans didn't want the Jews in their country, but they also loved seeing the refugees turned away by other countries. To the Nazis, it was proof that everybody else in the world secretly agreed with the way the Germans were treating the Jews. Captain Gustav Schroeder was real, and he is remembered today for his kindness toward his Jewish passengers and his efforts to find refuge for them. Otto Schindick was real too, and was not only the Nazi party representative on the ship, but also something of a spy, carrying secret messages back and forth between Germany and the Nazi agents working in Havana. Evelyn and Renata were the real names of two sisters whose mother chose to remain in Nazi Germany. Their father, Dr. Max Aber, was able to get them off the St. Louis in Havana because he had gone ahead of his family to Cuba and had strong connections with the local authorities. None of the other passengers were so lucky. Joseph's father, Aaron Landau, was inspired by two different men who really sailed on the MS St. Louis, Aaron Posner and Max Lowe. Aaron Posner, a Hebrew teacher, had been taken from his home in Germany during Kristallnacht, the night of broken glass, and sent to Dachau, where he was beaten and humiliated, and where he witnessed incredible atrocities. It was Aaron Posner who was released from Dachau after six months and told to leave the country within 14 days. And it was Posner who was the victim of Otto Schindick and his firemen while on board. Posner was also one of the mutineers who tried to take control of the ship when the St. Louis was turned away from the United States and Canada. Max Lowe was a Jewish lawyer who, like my fictional Aaron Landau, had been forbidden by the Nazis to practice law. Lowe had continued to give legal advice to sympathetic German lawyers who paid him under the table, but the Gestapo eventually caught on and Lowe was forced into hiding. He joined his wife and two children, a boy and a girl, just in time for them to all board the MS St. Louis and make their escape. But like Aaron Landau, Max Lowe was a broken man when he rejoined his family. It was Lowe who tried to commit suicide by jumping off the St. Louis while it lay at anchor outside Havana Harbor. The English ship Ordunia and the French ship Flander, both carrying Jewish refugees bound for Cuba, were initially kept out of Havana Harbor, just like the St. Louis. But both ships, to the frustration of the passengers on the St. Louis, were eventually allowed to dock and disembark their own refugees. But what the passengers on the St. Louis didn't know was that the only people allowed off the Ordunia and the Flander were passengers with Cuban passports. The rest, mostly Jews with now invalid entry visas like the Jewish passengers on the St. Louis, had been turned away to find another country that would take them. The Jewish refugees from the St. Louis who were allowed to enter the United Kingdom were the lucky ones. They escaped the Holocaust. Of the 620 Jewish refugees who returned to continental Europe, 
the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum estimates that 254 of them were among the 6 million European Jews who died in the Holocaust. Most of these people were murdered in the killing centers of Auschwitz and Sobibor, says the museum. The rest died in internment camps, in hiding or attempting to evade the Nazis. Ruthie, who survived, would be among the approximately 100,000 Jews who live in Germany today, down from around 500,000 Jewish German citizens before World War II. Many more Jews who survived the Holocaust chose not to return to their European home countries, settling instead in the United States and the newly formed country of Israel. The tragedy of the MS St. Louis is now famous and has been the subject of many books, plays, films, and even an opera. Isabel in 1994, thanks in large part to the recent collapse of the Soviet Union and the ongoing U.S. embargo against trade with Cuba, hungry citizens of Havana rioted up and down the Malecon. In response, Cuban President Fidel Castro announced that anyone who wanted to leave Cuba could do so without being thrown in jail, which was the usual punishment for trying to escape. It was a strategy Castro had employed before. When protests threatened to overwhelm his security forces and overthrow his government, Castro would allow people to leave any way they could, usually on homemade boats and rafts. When all the people angry enough to fight him had fled to America, the protests would stop and things would settle back down again. In the five weeks in 1994 when Castro allowed unhappy citizens to leave Cuba, an estimated 35,000 people fled the island for the United States, almost 10 times the number of people who had tried to escape to America in all of 1993. Many Americans objected to the sudden influx of Cuban refugees, particularly because, at the time, Cubans enjoyed a unique path to becoming American citizens that immigrants from other countries did not. Others recognized Castro's ploy for what it was and argued that the protesters should remain in Cuba in the hope that their riots would finally overthrow the Cuban government. U.S. President Bill Clinton had a big decision to make. Let the Cuban refugees in or send American warships out to turn them away. While he tried to figure out what to do, Clinton ordered any Cuban refugees caught at sea to be sent to a refugee camp at the U.S. military base at Guantanamo Bay in Cuba. From there, Cuban refugees could choose to return to Cuba or wait and see if the United States or another country would take them. A few months later, in 1995, Clinton announced that the Cuban refugees at Guantanamo would be allowed entry into the United States. But from that point on, any Cuban refugees caught at sea would be sent back to Cuba, not taken the rest of the way to Florida or sent to Guantanamo. Any Cuban refugees who made it to America could stay. Isabel and her family refer to this new attitude toward Cuban refugees as wet foot, dry foot, though that name wasn't commonly used to describe the situation until the policy was officially made law in 1995. I've also used artistic license to combine the riot that prompts Isabel's family to leave with the U.S. decision to detain Cuban refugees caught at sea. Those two events actually happened a month apart, but I have brought them together here to make my story tighter and more dramatic. Despite the threat of imprisonment in Cuba and the dangers of sea swells, storms, drowning, sharks, dehydration, and starvation, increasing numbers of Cubans still try to cross the 90 miles of ocean between Havana and Florida each year. According to the Pew Research Center, 43,635 Cuban refugees entered the United States in 2015, and that number was surpassed in 2016 by October. 
In recent years, many Cuban refugees have skipped America's wet foot, dry foot policy altogether and chosen to fly or sail from Cuba to Mexico or Ecuador and then walk north into America, an alternate route observers nicknamed Dusty Foot. But as more and more countries south of the United States close their borders, more Cubans are heading back into the Straits of Florida on homemade boats and rafts. Again, according to the Pew Research Center, 9,999 Cuban refugees entered the United States through the Miami sector in 2015. That same year, the U.S. Coast Guard apprehended 3,505 Cubans at sea. And there's no way of telling how many Cubans die in the attempt each year. In 1994, the year of Isabel's story, an estimated three out of every five Cuban refugees who attempted the journey died at sea. In 2014, President Barack Obama and Cuban President Raul Castro, Fidel's brother, announced that Cuba and the United States were re-establishing relations with each other. And in 2015, President Obama announced that formal diplomatic relations between the two countries would resume, including the reopening of their respective embassies in Havana and Washington, D.C. As a part of the normalization of relations, the U.S. government relaxed travel restrictions that had barred most Americans from visiting Cuba. And in August 2016, the first commercial flight from America to Cuba since 1962 landed in Havana. On January 12, 2017, in one of his last acts in office, President Obama announced the immediate end of the wet foot, dry foot policy. How these changes to U.S.-Cuban relations and the death of Fidel Castro on November 25, 2016 will affect the future of Cuba and its people remains to be seen.